In this episode, we take on the concept of comprehensible input, CI. I'm joined by John Bracey, who takes us into his classroom so we can see how his students benefit from this approach. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and I am so happy and excited that you are joining us today. Before we jump into this episode, I just want you to take a quick second, look at your phone, whatever app you're on, and click subscribe or follow or whatever they're telling you to do to make sure that you get these episodes every Monday when they come out. So now we're going to jump into our topic today, which is all about comprehensible input, known in the teaching world as CI, comprehensible input, and how are we using this to connect with students. And I'm actually joined today by John Bracey, who is a Latin teacher. And a lot of times I would imagine that the German, French, Spanish teachers are thinking, oh, yes, CI. I'm incredibly excited to have John Bracey, a Latin teacher, to help us truly understand how this content technique methodology is universal and how we can use it in our classrooms. So as I said, John is a Latin teacher. He's a high school Latin teacher, a little over 10 years in the classroom with students. And he's in Massachusetts. And he regularly presents on the CI topics at conferences like the American Classical League and Nectful regional conferences. So that is the quick rundown who John is. So welcome on in, John. It is so great to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I feel honored. I would love for you to make the story of John Bracey a little more robust so we understand who you are and how you got to where you are with us today. Boom. Well, I'll try, I'll try not to give you the, uh, try to give you the whole audio book, but I'll try to give you, like, try to give you the highlights. So... <laughs> So let's see. So it's me. So I was born and raised in Massachusetts, Amherst, 413. Shout out. I am the, the child of two professors and the grandchild of a professor. I come from a long line of, uh, of academics, but I don't like writing essays. So I did not travel down that route the way the rest of my family did. I fell in love with teaching. It took me a while to get there. I got my first degree from UMass Amherst in theater studies and studied acting in the UK and Canada and worked for a little while and then became just enamored with the ancient world. And I wanted to know more and my curiosity just got the better of me. And before I knew it, I ended up having a second bachelor's in Greek and Latin and I ended up with a master's degree from Boston College. And then 10 years later, I found myself in the classroom as a Latin teacher, but most importantly, a, 
a language teacher and a teacher of kids. So that's those are the broad strokes of how I got here. Oh, excellent. So let's get into this discussion of CI, of comprehensible input. I love that you're rubbing your hands together yeah. and getting all excited about this. So what has been your journey with your discovery of CI? What did what did that look like for you? Okay, so I came to CI specifically because I identified a problem in what I was doing with my teaching. Mm-hmm. So as part of the story that I that I left out is I may have been the child of professors. I may have come from a very academic family. I was a very, very, very unsuccessful student growing up. Mm-hmm. I was straight Fs. There was meetings about me. I never did my homework. I was like every teacher's nightmare. Like I was I was very much that kid. <laughs> and so when I got into teaching, the thing that really um, just ignited my passion to do this is I wanted to give a different experience to the to the kids like me. And what I found was that the way that I was approaching it, which was a very traditional, ultra traditional grammar, memorization, wrote yeah, rote memorization, um, literal translation, verb synopses, everything you could imagine I was doing. And the results were that all of the kids who were always successful under the current system were very successful. Mm-hmm. Literally everybody else was either miserable or doing terribly. And all of the kids who were like me wouldn't even set foot in that class. Mm-hmm. And I knew something wasn't working. Because I knew that every single person in that room knew at least one language. I had students mm-hmm. who were failing who knew multiple languages. And I, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. And so I got desperate. And I just started, just flew on the internet and said, okay, somebody actually has to know how people learn languages. Because I'm really just guessing. I'm just <laughs> doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the stuff is shiny. And sometimes the stuff will have cool borders on it. Sometimes I'll buy a bunch of stuff to make the stuff I'm doing seem prettier. But I was just doing stuff. I didn't know if it was uh-huh. working or what. I, I didn't know why I was doing any of it. So I figured somebody has to know how this works. And if I figure that out, then maybe I can reach more kids. And then I went deep down the rabbit hole. And then I realized, oh, hey, there are people who know how <laughs> people mm-hmm. learn languages. Mm-hmm. And that's how I found my way into CI world through through reading stuff from Stephen Krashen, through the great Latin teachers like Bob Patrick and John Piazza and Lance Piantagini. And then I found my way to people like Ben Slavic and way down into the into the, the, the deep drill of CI. And I found what I was looking for, which was the answer to that question. How do people actually learn languages? And how can I make this work for everyone? So could you talk us through exactly what CI is and what are the linguistic benefits of it? Absolutely. So CI, Comprehensible Input, is based on a theory by a guy named Dr. Stephen Krashen. The theory is very, very, very simple. Human beings acquire languages when we understand them we acquire language by hearing things and or reading things that we understand Mm -hmm. 
So input, things that you hear or read. Comprehensible, things that you personally understand. That's mm -hmm. how it works. The linguistic benefits of it are that as far as we know, this is the only avenue through which human beings acquire languages. That's not to say that there's like a, um, like a, like a series of activities or like a workbook that I can sell you that is that is that it encompasses all of these things it's not like a a a dogmatic approach to the actual things that you do mm -hmm. it's more like describing like how a human eats food it's there's so many kinds of food and ways to prepare food and so many different rich food traditions every single one of them involves putting food into your mouth and mm -hmm. digesting it there aren't any that involve shoving it into your eye or, or mm -hmm. just mashing it into your face or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, comprehensible input theory answers that question, which is basically where do you put the language mm -hmm. and then what does your body do with it? So it's more of an overarching technique and not, no, I wouldn't say a technique. It's a, it's an approach and there are various techniques of how to get there, but it's that overall approach. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's just it's just it answers the question, how do people acquire languages? Mm -hmm. And then there's a million different things you can do mm -hmm. with that information. Mm -hmm. So I think we would all be very interested to hear what some of those things look like in. Is it Magister, Bracey? What do you? Yeah, that works. Right. OK. Uh, so what does it look like in Magister Bracey's class when you are doing something that is in the realm of comprehensible input? Awesome. So everything I do is designed to provide understood messages, as it were. Everything I do is designed to either provide CI or to create the conditions to provide um, CI. So what it looks like is a series of practices that I will use kind of like a playbook, all with the purpose of saying things to kids that they'll understand, creating things or giving them things to read that they will definitely understand. So in terms of what that looks like, so in a typical class, I'd start off by having a conversation, as it were, in Latin with my students where we might talk about what we did yesterday. Now, the way that this works from a comprehensible input standpoint is that every last bit of information that we talk about is available visually. Mm -hmm. So at no point am I asking students to pull something out of their, out of their brains to produce output. Everything is visually supported for them. So it'll say like, and so on the board, it'll say the Latin word for I saw is weedy. Mm -hmm. And so I'll write the word weedy in Latin and then write I saw next to it. And then we'll talk about no weedy, weedy, um, an elephantum, mm -hmm. weedy elephantum. I saw an elephant. And then we'll have a conversation like that where I ask questions about, I'll ask students, you know, what did they see yesterday or where did they go? But the key thing is that I'm the one who's doing the bulk of the talking and asking the questions and they're invited to provide output, but I never force them. And all the mm -hmm. scaffolding is there. So at no point am I saying anything that is not understood. 
And so that's one way. In addition to that, it takes the form of reading, where we'll create a story together. We'll read a novella that's already been written. We'll take one of our conversations in class, and I'll type up during class on the board what we learned in that conversation in the target language. It involves things like listening and drawing. It involves sometimes acting, performing, anything of the sort. Because mm -hmm. really, at the heart of it all, all I'm trying to do is say things to kids that they understand or get them to read something that they understand. And any tricks, bells, and whistles I can do to make that happen, that's what I do. So as you are going into these conversational interactive experiences with the language, are you deciding in advance what those structures are and the vocabulary will be? Or does it just sort of happen organically as you're going through? Ah, that is a wonderful question. So there are, there are two schools of thought on this, which I actually think are one school of thought. Mm -hmm. Again, the same principle is at play. We want to say things to kids that they understand. We want them to read things that they understand. Same principle at play. But now, sometimes people will pick structures ahead of time. So say you're going to be working with a specific story or you're, maybe you're going to be doing a movie talk where you talk about a video clip that you watched in front of your class. Maybe you're going to create a story together and you have a, you know, a story script that's going to be based around kind of three or four, you know, frequently used phrases. Mm -hmm. Then you might select the words ahead of time. You also honestly don't have to do that. You can, mm -hmm. and there's zero wrong with it. I do that. But I also do the other as well, which is where you don't plan ahead of time what you're going to, what phrase you're going to use, kind of relying on the fact that if you take our conversation right here and you were to write out the transcript of it, mm -hmm. like I promise you there are a few words that we probably use a billion times. Mm-hmm. And those are the words that fall on your top 100, 200, you know, frequency list of words that we use. Right. They're on that list because we use them all the time. And mm -hmm. so if we come into a situation and we are committed to, you know, using a minimal amount of language, we are going to stick to the ones that are the most frequently used. Right. So it'll happen anyway. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to pre-plan those things. The main thing is that you are ensuring that even if you're not prepping ahead of time, you're making sure that that language is understood real time. Mm -hmm. So if you introduce a new word, you write it in the target language and in the common language mm -hmm. or languages. So if English is the common language, you write it in English too. So that's the most important thing is you're, is you're making sure that everything is understood. The concept of high frequency words, this same conversation comes up with acquisition orders in different languages in terms of when structures are acquired. And there's research on there's a certain order that they happen sort of naturally. And these are high frequency words. And I will get the question sometimes from teachers in workshops is, where can I find the high frequency word list so that I focus on it? And my response is always 
the reason they're high frequency is if you use language authentically, they will be used in a high frequency. And you don't have to teach the grammatical structures in this order. If you just use the language authentically, they will happen organically in that order. It's a very interesting concept. Like, speed up what's natural. Can we do that? Yeah, can we? That's the funny thing about the um, the, the natural order of acquisition um, theory and all we know about it is like it's the whole point is that you can't do anything about it <laughs> and so but but we we want to be able to control it we say like okay i know the natural order of acquisition <laughs> so how do i align my curriculum so it's in the natural order of acquisition mm-hmm. it's like unfortunately you don't get to do that and part of that process is going to be a big dirty mess the example i always use real quick is um is uh, for example the way that that um that we develop past tenses in verbs, right? The irregular are typically acquired before the regular. And when the regular is, it starts to become acquired, the irregular starts to go away until the two eventually way later on start to come together, which is why you have a child say, I, let's see, I pooped. When they're very little, they say, oh, I pooped. I pooped in my diaper. I pooped. And then the next year, suddenly they're saying, I pooped it. They never heard poop did. I never said poop did. No one's ever said poop did. Yet poop did shows up. I pooped it. And that it's it's there's nothing we can do about it. It's not a problem. It's nothing that needs to be fixed. We don't have access to that part of the brain. All we can do is give it input and it will sort of defrag the language and put it together on its own. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate existence of textbooks that present structures in order of complexity lead us to believe that the, I guess, simpler, if you could say that, forms are acquired before the more, more complex. And that's just simply not the case. No, no, there's, it's, it's, no, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's the only thing that I have been able to, to gather from what I've heard from second language acquisition researchers the one thing that we know is that in general, language forms that are connected to meaning get acquired first, mm-hmm. and the ones that aren't connected to meaning are acquired much later or never. Mm-hmm. So for like perfect example would be like something like noun adjective agreement. Mm-hmm. It generally doesn't make a difference like the it, it's it's like a form it's like a i don't know it's like an aesthetic thing mm-hmm. but it doesn't change meaning right mm-hmm. so that's the kind of thing that gets acquired way later mm-hmm. but the ones that are associated with very specific meanings those come first regardless of complexity mm-hmm. So looking at it in general terms, since so much of this or all of the acquisition is happening on a subconscious level, what we are doing with comprehensible input is just feeding, just feeding the beast, just feed the beast. And once it gets all that input, it'll it'll make sense of it in ways that we really don't have sort of control of all the time in terms of what we are acquiring. So I'd like to know in your classroom when you're doing comprehensible input or I I say doing comprehensible input, I'm not sure exactly what verb to use. When we are experiencing a world of CI in our classrooms, how are you making sure that your students are invested in it, that it's of, of interest to them and that they're they're motivated and 
whatever that looks Boom. like. That is the million dollar question. And that's the part that gets left mm -hmm. out too much that I think that I don't include as much that I need to is the compelling input hypothesis, which goes along with it, mm -hmm. which I would argue is equally important. So if the language itself is uninteresting, you could hear it every way, up, down, sideways, all day, every day. And then by like year seven, you say like you, you might use the word and the student's like, huh? What are you talking about? What does that mean? You're like, well, what do you mean? That's the, I've said it every day for years. Why is it? It's like, oh, it's because it, it, you don't care. It doesn't mean anything to you. It's boring. It's, un it's like it's uninteresting. And but you also have a situation where you have a conversation about something that is interesting to a student and you may mention a word once or twice and seven years later that word is fully acquired and boom comes out just like that how do you make it compelling as it were so here's what i figured out i personally am not all that interesting the stuff that I come up with on my own may entertain me tremendously. <laughs> that is no guarantee that anybody else is going to be interested in it. So the biggest secret that I have to making compelling language in all its forms is find out from the students themselves what they find interesting. Now, the one overarching trick that I have, my one bit of understanding that will help me do that is that just by our nature as human beings, there's nothing more interesting than ourselves. We are fascinated with ourselves. That's not, that's not a knock on the human species. We're interested in ourselves. But when you talk about an actual student, when you talk about like, what do you like to do? What are you interested in? Where would you like to go? If you had a superpower, what would it be? What's cool about you that nobody knows? Mm -hmm. When you're talking about the students themselves, the investment level skyrockets. And even if you're not talking about that particular student, if you're talking about another student in class and they're listening to it, that's way more interesting because then they start making connections or like, oh, mm -hmm. so that like, you know, popular athletic kid also plays minecraft at home yeah. huh it's like it's, so yeah it's like who else plays minecraft right. or like i play minecraft huh i didn't know that and then like it becomes a whole thing so the number one way to make things fascinating is to not try to guess but to make the kids the center of your classroom make finding out more about them your objective mm -hmm. Say, say, make that your personal goal for the year. Say that my goal is to find out as much about my students as they are comfortable telling me and comfortable sharing. That's the key to compelling that I've discovered thus far. So there is a question I, I often get if I'm, I'm working with a school in their language department and we're doing things on proficiency levels and actual core practices, there's always a group of Latin teachers that will say something to the effect of, oh, well, you're doing the interpersonal part here. So can we take a break because we don't do that? Or we're the speaking part. So I'm, I know it's not all Latin teachers, but I want to hear the Magister Bracy case to the Latin teachers listening right now for all of the modes in the Latin classroom. 
Okay, boom, I got you. The Latin language came out of Italy. It rose to wide usage during the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had roughly a 99% illiteracy rate. The overwhelming majority of the Latin-speaking world could not read or write in Latin. That's why when you go to these places, mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of written signs. You see a lot of pictures, maybe with some words on them, but you see a lot of pictures. All of these things point to one major thing, that Latin in particular is a spoken language as part of an oral tradition. It is an oral mm -hmm. culture. That's just the beginning of it. Also buried in there is the fact that Latin is a language. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if we're teaching Latin or Klingon or, or it doesn't matter what we're teaching. Nothing changes the fact that Latin is a language. There is nothing unique about the Latin language that makes it so that the process of acquiring it is any different. Now, I don't care. If you go out and speak Latin to other people, I don't I have I don't care one bit. You can go and speak all the Latin you want or never speak Latin. I don't care. The one thing that we do know is that if our students are to acquire Latin in any meaningful way and experience any level of success, they're going to need to have input. Now, reading is a powerhouse. It works wonderfully. Mm -hmm. So does oral input. So we should be talking to our students in the target language so that they can understand us. We should be giving them things to read that they understand. All of these things should be happening. Mm -hmm. And the things that we are worried about, like interpersonal communication and whatnot, I think in general for all languages, especially at the earlier levels, that that should be de-emphasized anyway. Because their output mm -hmm. is nowhere near as important as their comprehension. Comprehension is what will lead to output later. We have very little impact on what the output's going to look like. So that being said, there is nothing wrong at all with giving your students opportunities to speak and opportunities to write, but you just stick to the same usual parameters where you don't force people to speak if they don't want to. And you never, ever, ever grade mm -hmm. for grammar. You never grade for accuracy. But the idea that these things do not apply to Latin is, mm -hmm. is founded in nothing. And if you really want to go nuclear on this one. Always. So, actful. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's where I go. I go hard in the paint every time. John Bracey. That's what I do. If you want to go, want to go nuclear on this one. So, you got actful, right? These are the actual standards, right? Now, actful is a consortium of different um, language teacher organizations one of those organizations mm -hmm. and if you get the poster it's on the poster the american mm -hmm. classical league is on there that we're there's no separate none of this is meant to be exclusive to latin like that we were taught this we were taught very much oh oh latin's different yeah you, you have to teach it badly mm -hmm. because it's latin like oh it's got to be awful because it's latin oh you can't do like you can't do language stuff because it's latin no all of that is nonsense none of it is true not one bit of it and it's okay if that's scary. It's okay if you're like, oh, no, what do I do now? That's wonderful. That's fine. No one's saying you have to know what to do with it. But we do have to start at the place of full acknowledgement that, hey, Latin is a language and we should teach it as such. That was awesome.
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So you had mentioned earlier uh, some some names of those early on in your journey who had influenced your understanding of CI and and how to use it. So when you're out there looking to be further inspired, to go deeper in all of this, where where's your inspiration coming from? Honestly, the list is so long. So the places where I spend my time is I spend a lot of time on teacher websites, mm-hmm. like a lot of time on teacher blogs. I spend a lot of time in the various Facebook groups. If I had to drop some names right off the bat, places I spend a lot of time, I spend a mm-hmm. lot of time on Martina Bex's website, The Comprehensible Classroom. I That's a go-to of mine. Carrie Toth's great Spanish mm-hmm. teacher, um, somewhere to share. Christy Placido's website, Keith Toda. Uh, the the list yeah. is so exhaustive. <laughs> if you really, if you really, honestly, so I'm a moderator of the of the IFLT Facebook mm-hmm. group. So if you just Google IFLT, I mean Google, if you just like like on Facebook and you search IFLT, a group mm-hmm. will pop up. All of those people you're going to be able to access through there. You're going to have list upon list of people to to you know to 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 look at and resources and whatnot. But that's that's where I would say is the best place to start. Pick up a couple of websites. And then the other thing you can do is hop onto YouTube and look up any of these people that you know. Mm-hmm. Like if you're wondering how to do a, a particular kind of lesson, you're like, well, I want to do a movie talk, but don't really know how to do it. Hop onto YouTube and type in movie talk and you'll see mm-hmm. someone like Michelle Whaley or or Bob Patrick or or Allison Litton or Rachel Ash show up mm-hmm. and you'll and you'll get examples of exactly what it looks like. Excellent. Such an inspiring names to 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 look for as we oh, so look many. out there. So this is the part of our conversation where I'd like to pull the teacher curtain back a little bit and get to know not Magister Bracy, but John <laughs> a little bit All better. Right. And this is our this or that part of the conversation. Give you two options. You got to choose one or the other. If you want to say why, that's great, but it's up to you. Okay, first one here. When it comes to work, your school work, are you one to arrive early or stay late to get stuff done? Early. <laughs> 100%. I'm not staying late. Alrighty. I'm not staying late. All right. Now, you need to test the test the waters on something, or do you just dive in the deep end? Dive in. Dive in. If it goes bad, it goes bad. But just only way to know is to dive in. Okay, and this last one. Socks. Solid color or something that's going to make someone make a comment and have a conversation about them? I got to go hard. I got to go. You, you, you got to go with the interesting socks. Mm-hmm. If it starts a conversation, it does. But, I mean, how can you say no? <laughs> There's so many interesting socks. I mean, you, you, you got to. You yeah. got to. Do you personally wear those socks? I do. Oh, what's uh, what's your most interesting pair of socks? I have one. So I think they're purple <laughs> and they have like, you know, like those cell phones from like the 80s. Oh, yes. Like the like the giant ones. Mm-hmm. It's got those, but there's like wings on them and they're flying. <laughs> wow. That's a conversation piece. Definitely. That's a good that's the next episode. We're gonna do a whole interview just on that. <laughs> just on on uh, John socks. Awesome. That'd be great. See, when you pull back the teacher curtain, like why? When would we ever have an opportunity to talk about your socks and how interesting right. they are? Right. 
Excellent. So as we wrap up here, I would really appreciate it. And so would our listeners to know where can we connect with you first off? Oh, yeah, there's, it, it's easy. So you can go to magisterbracy.com. And that's where I blog about whatever, sometimes frequently, sometimes infrequently. Mm-hmm. You can get access to a bunch of stories I've written. And you can contact me directly through there. My email is hooked up to that site. Mm -hmm. So if you message me through there, it gets forwarded straight to my email. And then we're right in touch. The other place is if you are interested in in getting flooded with my opinion on virtually everything, Mm -hmm. is to find me on Twitter at Magister Bracey. Excellent. Thank you. And can you leave us with one really actionable, solid piece of advice if we want to embrace CI in our classroom? Yes, I can. So here's the big advice that I would give you. No one acquires a language that they don't understand. Make yourself understood. That's your job. Thank you so much for putting it so succinctly for us so that we can just keep that in mind. I really appreciate your time today. It was great hearing all your insights and recommendations and hearing about specifically the Latin teacher's experience when it comes to CI. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. So many actionable takeaways from that conversation with John Bracey. So which ones are you going to try? I always appreciate that reminder to keep the input compelling as well as comprehensible. Be sure to check out the show notes so you can connect with John. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.